y'all. Welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie. That's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about a badass human who also happened to do science. Except not this week, because this week is part two of our season six brawl episode. Last week, if you'll recall, Brenna introduced us to Jim, Frank, and Mo. And also we need to add in Roz from episode three, Rosalind Franklin. Mm-hmm. And then today... We're going to talk about what these people did to each other because there's drama, there's fighting, there is accusations of fist fights, kind of, um, Hmm. a lot of Jim being ridiculous, which is very on brand for him based on what we learned last week. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what we got going on this week. It's going to be an epic conclusion. I'm very excited. And I get to do it this week. I've got a whole bunch of science and a whole bunch of fighting. So it's good. All right. First, though, let's deal with some weekly business before we get started. You might be wondering how to make sure that other people find us. The best way to do that is to rate, review, follow, like, or subscribe or whatever to our podcast wherever you listen. It's free, it takes no time, and it helps other people know they want to be here listening. Do you have something we need to know if it's like a suggestion for an episode or an answer to our question or a story you want to tell about science or about or anything? I mean, we'll talk about anything. It's fine. You can email us at science at gmail.com. You can also DM us on Facebook or Instagram. We're at science, both of those places. Finally, if you can't get enough of us, unlike our husbands, you can become a podcast supporter on Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com, search for BA in Science, and subscribe for just $5 a month, which is an absolute bargain, you guys. You can get early access to episodes plus our entire catalog of bonus content including special episodes during the season and our summer series and we do have a bonus episode coming out soon so the bonus episodes for this season begin i think this week maybe so there's going to be new stuff on there Uh, and that you can even try it out for a week for free they have a free trial so go over there find us subscribe do we have any addendums from last episode before we get started on our ba i don't think so I don't think we do either but we again we got a lot this is this is the second part of a two-parter so kind of we got a lot to cover so you know there might be more addendums after this week but we will find out oh no I do have an addendum you know that uh, pub we were talking about does it oh yeah mom are probably a better researcher than either of us are honestly uh (laughs) looked it up for us and yes it does still exist so there you go so there we did and I feel like she thought that Spuddle House was, or no, S- Spuddle Manor was pretty funny. It was. But also we're going to need to know what you're naming your estate. Mine personally or all of our listeners? Because I know that I haven't. Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. I don't know. I can't think of a good name, but I will. Okay. But I don't know. I will take suggestions though. If our listeners have suggestions mm-hmm. for what I should name my estate, my, you know. Perhaps four bedroom, right. two and a half bath estate in yeah. suburbia, you know. Yeah, but otherwise I got nothing. So let's take a quick break and we'll get right into it. Sounds good. So I have got a lot to talk about. So I'm just going to jump right in with some DNA science. I want to explain how DNA works. And to do that, I need to explain how it's structured because the way that it's put together is kind of important to how it works. So And I've got a lot, like I said, I've got a lot. It's not difficult, but there's a lot to, you know, because again, 
to a certain extent, every ball brawl that we do is difficult because we have to talk about more than one person and the science is its own thing. And then I have to deal with the pettiness, which can be complex. Uh, and none of that, I think, has been more true than with this episode. <laughs> I mean, two episodes. Yeah. So Roz got her own episode. We talked about Jim, Frank, and Mo last episode. Yep. So DNA. Let's discuss. You may also know it as deoxyribonucleic acid. Mm-hmm. Why they abbreviated it. Before we can even discuss what it is, we need to discuss what it does, because that's how we figured it all out. So in your high school biology class, you learned about a guy named Gregor Mendel and his pea plants. Remember that guy? Maybe. We're headed toward Punnett Squares. Does that mean? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. He noticed that parent plants pass on certain traits to their children plants. There are genes inside organisms that allow these traits to be passed on. One scientist figured out how cells divide they realized that the genes have to be part of that division so that the genes can get passed on to other cells eventually a guy named walter fleming was able to see that when a cell divides this really large molecule from inside the nucleus of a cell became a thread with individual units that would be called chromosomes and after cellular division both cells would have an exact copy of the chromosomes so now we're pretty sure that chromosomes help with inherited traits And that's like in the late 1800s. So we had figured that out. In 1907, a guy named Thomas Hunt Morgan tested this idea using fruit flies. Now, why would he use fruit flies? Well, they have a very short lifespan and they produce really fast. So you can see a lot of generations quickly versus humans who take nine to 10 whole months to grow a baby. And they take a really long time to grow up into maturity so they can make more babies. So humans are not a great subject of study if you want to do a lot of generations real fast, but fruit Mm -hmm. flies are awesome. So he was able to prove that all of this whole idea was true, that parents pass on traits to their offspring via chromosomes. So when the fighting four, which is what I'm calling them because they certainly weren't the fab four, when the fighting four began their work, scientists were pretty sure that DNA was like an instruction manual stored in cells telling the children cells which traits they need so they're like the parent cells. It tells the cells what to do and what to be and how to work so that you get the desired organism. Like the instruction manual for elephants is full of like long nose instructions and big ear instructions, whereas for fish, they've got gill instructions and fin instructions, okay? Parents pass on those instructions to their offspring via chromosomes. Cool. But like how? How how does all that work? If chromosomes are the instruction manual, like what words are used to write it? The words are DNA. As the name would suggest to a biochemist, deoxyribonucleic acid is one of the macromolecules that an organism needs to live. Would you agree with that statement? I know you're not a biochemist, but you teach ochem so I teach biochem well that doesn't make you a biochemist but I mean so I should be more knowledgeable actually we don't talk about DNA too much in the part of biochem I teach but oh. sure yeah I mean okay sure I mean today yes people understand back then they didn't understand no obviously now today okay. we understand oh, yeah, yeah. that and besides DNA there's others like proteins carbs and lipids those are like there's proteins carbs lipids and DNA that's like well any nucleic acid is one of the main four we're talking specifically about the deoxyribonucleic mm-hmm. acid okay 
DNA is made of two polynucleotide chains that coil around each other, the discovery of which is the basis for my discussion today. Uh, but you'll notice that I used a lot of college words just now, and we might need to define them a little bit. Let's start with a nucleotide. A nucleotide is an organic molecule made of three smaller molecules, a five-carbon sugar, like deoxyribose, a phosphate group, and a nucleobase. And so that last one is the one that we talk about a lot in basic biology. When nucleotides are formed, we've got four options as to which type of nucleobase we can put into the molecule, adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine, A, T, C, G. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar from basic biology? I know that Brenna, you know, because she does it, but like all of you out there, I'm assuming you remember the days of matching up A's and T's and C's and G's and all that. So each nucleotide gets one of those four things, plus the sugar and the phosphate. Then each of those nucleotides connects to other nucleotides using magical covalent bonds between the sugar of one and the phosphate of another to form a polynucleotide chain. Poly meaning many, so many nucleotides linking up. So you've got all these phosphates and sugars linking up, but that nitrogen nucleobase is just kind of sticking out off to the side. Doesn't have really anything to do. She's like sticking out there all alone until a different polynucleotide chain comes along with its nitrogen bases sticking out the opposite way. And remember, here's the thing about nucleobases. They have a preference as to who they link up with. Adenine will only be besties with thymine. And I'm just talking about DNA because in RNA, you've got uracil and we're not, I'm not going into that. We're just dealing with DNA. Okay. Um, and cytosine will only hang out with guanine. That's it. But once they find each other, the nucleobases will use covalent hydrogen bonds to stick together. And they're it forms... Bonds. They're not bonds. They're not covalent bonds. It's an intermolecular force. The hydrogen bonds are not bonds. We've had this conversation before. I feel really strongly about it. I know that you do. But in our basic biology textbook that most people will have a Basic biology, if they tell you it's an actual covalent bond, they're wrong, 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 fired. Well, wrong. they're wrong and fired because that's the term that they use because explaining it's a bond, but not a bond to ninth graders who are barely sentient at that point, their brains have barely solidified. A strong intermolecular force, but it's not I'm... a covalent bond because covalent bonds are strong and you're not going to bust them apart, but you can bust hydrogen bonds apart. I'm just saying. Okay. So with all of that caveat the nucleotide bases stick together and it forms a twisty ladder, the rails of which, so like the sides that you would grip onto if you were climbing this ladder, is the sugar phosphate chain. And then the rungs are those paired up nucleobases. That's what you're stepping on. We call this ladder the double helix because it has two swirly or helical components. So an organism's entire instruction book for making it a human or a fish or whatever is called a genome. The chromosomes, as I said before, are the chapters in that book. Chromosomes contain DNA sequences, which is like the words and punctuation that make up what we call genes. A gene is a region of DNA that encodes a function. Another way to think of it is that genes contain the instructions for building proteins. So proteins are made of amino acids and there are 20 known that your body combines to make various different proteins. The genes tell the amino acids how to combine to make whatever it's making, like the heart or the hair or whatever. Human instruction manual, genome, 
contains 46 chromosomes. We get 23 of those from each of our parents, one set from each set of DNA. Each chromosome has lots of genes on it, and these genes determine eye color and stuff like that based on how the instruction manual is written. We all have instructions for two eyes, but the color of those eyes depends on what type of the eye gene is present. That's called an allele. And I'm not getting into Punnett squares and all that, but I wanted to at least mention all this vocab because it might come up. As you can see, DNA is super important to making sure that an organism turns out healthy and has everything it needs to survive. When a new organism is being made, DNA replication is like the most important step. If DNA doesn't replicate the right way, you get a mutation, which is a loss of information. Now, sometimes this loss can make it so the new organism cannot survive, and so the process will stop. Sometimes the loss of info results in having extra stuff, which is mind-blowing, but it happens. For instance, if during replication, the information telling the DNA how many copies of chromosome 21 there should be gets lost, it will make an extra copy. And if you've got part or all of a third copy of chromosome 21, you have Down syndrome, making you a special edition human. So yes, you lost information, but you ended up with something extra. So clearly the whole replication process, super delicate, really, really important. So let's talk about that now, this whole replication process, DNA replication. When a cell divides, it makes a copy of its DNA so that the new cell will have a full set of instructions to work from so it fits seamlessly into the process of building and maintaining the organism. And that's what I mean when I say replication. How does that work? Well, first, remember how DNA is the twisty and like a ladder? Okay, the first thing that happens is that the DNA untwists and lays itself flat. Then this enzyme, this is a, there's a lot of enzymes going on in this whole process too, which is not something you talk about in basic biology. They just kind of tell you, and then some magic occurs and it splits apart. Well, the magic is enzymes. And the first one is called helicase and it disrupts all the hydrogen not bonds as we discussed before. I mean, they're called hydrogen bonds, but. But they're not. It disrupts all of the hydrogen connections that hold the adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine bases together, which is called the unzipping part of the strand, but it doesn't do it completely. It kind of unzips into this Y shape called a replication fork. And the point where it forks off is where the replication will begin. Then this other fancy enzyme called primase makes this little piece of RNA, which is ribonucleic acid, which is almost the same as DNA, but it's a different sugar, doesn't matter. But that RNA attaches to one strand, kind of priming it like, hey, we're getting started now. Now another really important enzyme comes in called DNA polymerase, and it senses the primer. Once it senses that RNA primer there, it begins its job of adding new bases to pair up with what's already there. So let's say that one fork of the strand has ATTCGT as its pattern. The polymerase brings nucleotides TAACGA to match up with that pattern and then form a new side to the latter. And a similar process is happening on the other fork. And so once all the pairs are formed, an enzyme named exonuclease comes in and takes off the primers and makes sure that the proper bases got paired up where the primers were. Because the primer was just like a holding point, basically. Then it proofreads the strands to make sure there were no mistakes. And if there are, it removes and replaces them. So exonuclease is pretty important too. Finally, Telomerase, yet another enzyme, comes in and makes little caps on the ends of new strands, effectively sealing the duplicates off. Then they twist back up, partly because it saves space, 
and then the cell is ready to divide. Pretty neat, no? Sure, yeah. It's very efficient. And we could get into transcription and translation with the process, but what I just described gets at the heart of what we need to know, okay? Turns out in biology, the structure of something is super important to how it works. And that's where we're going to begin our brawl. We're going to take a break before we get into it. But before we do that, I want to go over kind of where everybody is when the brawl is going to start. Okay, let's set the scene. Back in Roz's episode, we mentioned that she worked at King's College under a guy named John Randall. He was in charge of the physics department and head of biophysics research. When he got hired, Randall brought along Mo Wilkins, which Brenna mm -hmm. talked about. Randall considered also hiring Frank because he got along really well with Mo and they mm -hmm. were good friends. But Mo told Frank he was working on his DNA stuff. And Frank was like, bro, you really should just concentrate on, on proteins. Now, Randall ultimately didn't hire Frank, as we know, because he was, quote, too boisterous and brash, if you'll mm -hmm. recall. Frank goes over to the Cavendish lab and gets positioned there studying the structure of proteins using X-ray diffraction. And Brenna told us all about X-ray diffraction. So Mo mm -hmm. is vibing at the lab, doing work on DNA, despite Frank's advice. Now, mm -hmm. Randall decided that since all this X-ray diffraction work was going on, he needed a really good X-ray researcher to work on X-ray diffraction from proteins and lipids in solution. Like, you know, to generally improve the X-ray capabilities of the lab. Like, you know, trying to compete. So in 1950, Roz was offered the job and accepted it, but then she got this weird letter. So before she even got to her first day of work, the scope of her work had changed according to this letter, okay? Here's a quote. After very careful consideration and discussion with the senior people concerned, it now seems that it would be a good deal more important for you to investigate the structure of certain biological fibers in which we are interested by both low and high angle diffraction, rather than to continue with the original part of work on solutions as the major one. This means that as far as the experimental x-ray effort is concerned, there will be at the moment only yourself, Gosling, and a grad student weird that Mo wasn't mentioned, isn't it? Since he's the guy who's working on this stuff. But in this letter, he was not mentioned. We have the letter. He was. It was not mentioned. Okay. Okay. Put that in your satchel because that's where I'm going to leave Roz and Mo. Okay. Let's jump over to Crick, Frank, who is mm -hmm. vibing over at the Cavendish. He was on a team studying the structures of biological systems. And in 1951, Jim Watson joined the group. Frank and Jim shared an office and Frank had encouraged Mo to ignore DNA and study proteins. That's because that's the work Frank was doing. But Jim was super excited about DNA. It was like, Frank, we got to do this DNA thing. And Frank was like, that's going to be kind of awkward because my friend Mo is working on that over at King's and I don't want to step on toes. But in the end, it was too tempting and they decided to look into this whole DNA business. So Mo and Roz are the ones at King's though, and King's kind of has an unspoken right to do this DNA research. Jim and Frank are at Cavendish and they're protein guys, ostensibly. Mm -hmm. It's the early 1950s and everybody wants to know just how DNA works. And to do that, they need to know how it's put together. So that's mm -hmm. where everybody's at. Okay. Let's take a quick break. And then we're going to get into the meat of the brawl. Sound good? Okay. Okay, Brenna, we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. 
It's an MCAT test prep program like no other. MCAT prep can be super expensive, but this is prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really want to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how good it is with really excellent concept explanations and visual learning, thousands of practice questions with explanations, and full MCAT practice tests. If you've ever looked into the MCAT, you've probably looked around for complete programs that are made by experts. These courses cost thousands of dollars, which make it super impractical for the average person. MCAT Ladder, though, has over 100 full scholarships available now for both self-paced programs you can start anytime, as well as for intensive and boot camp type programs with dates throughout the year. Right. The whole idea behind Proton Guru and the MCAT Ladder is high quality MCAT prep that's accessible to more people, not just those who can afford thousands of dollars. So go on over to ProtonGuru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT Ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. Okay, let's get into it. This is all a lot, I know, but here's here comes the juicy stuff. We're going to jump into April 1951, where Linus Pauling drops a metaphorical bomb into the world of protein research. Not a real one because he was against that. Go on. Right. That's why I said a metaphorical bomb because he would literally never. He would Mm -hmm. literally never. Right. Now, we interviewed Pauling's daughter-in-law and grandson in the final two episodes of our first season, and you should obviously go back and listen to that if you missed it. But that year, 1951, Pauling published research on the alpha helix, saying that it was the foundation for a lot of proteins. He used both x-ray images and physical models of what he was talking about, so it was really easy to see how it all fit together. But he's stuck in America because the FBI was worried he was a communist. That was going to make it really hard for him to have access to all the work going on in England that would have helped him with his research into DNA. Mm -hmm. It was a wild time. You should go listen to that episode. It's really good. So the researchers at King. I mean, he wasn't a commie. By he the wasn't way. a commie at all. Yeah. No, they should have let him go to England, but they thought he was a commie because he wasn't a huge fan of putting. Were we in the McCarthy atmosphere. era? Yeah, it was. It's 1951. Yeah. That's the that's the height of the McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthyism. So. so, anyway, yeah, it was a wild time. So the researchers at King's and the Cavendish hear about this alpha helix thing and wonder if DNA also had a helical structure like other proteins. Jim and Frank are not really supposed to be working on DNA at all because like in British science, it was very taboo to compete in someone else's area of research. Like once you kind of staked it out, everyone just, it was like an unspoken rule. You just kind of left it alone. Because the British are all polite and stuff. Also, I think they, they were the ones, I mean, they were getting actual like funding. Yeah, that and that's true. And that's kind of the politeness and the funding both went into it. For Americans, there would be no politeness and the funding may or may not matter. We just do things different here, which is fine, but it would have been considered taboo. So Pauling, though, being an American, as I as I said, Americans don't care about that at all. So, but Jim and Frank really shouldn't touch DNA because Mo and Roz are working on it. Or are they? If you'll recall, right before the break, I left Mo and Roz at King's and Roz was to come on board to work on x-ray crystallography and DNA stuff with the grad student. No mention of Mo. So when Roz attends her first staff meeting, that would be a good time for her to find out that Mo was, in fact, working on the project. But he wasn't there. He -hmm. was on vacation with a hot little au pair who he took on sunny walks and they read Jane Austen together in the evenings. Mm. What? Yep. Facts. -uh. Yep. 
Yes, huh? That is a factual thing. He was on vacay when Roz was at her first meeting. With a mistress? Or was he not married yet? Oh, he, he was married. married. Well, I don't think so. Never. Oh, well, I never came up in mine. Well, it came up in mine. Okay, so- what was this from like Jim's book? Because uh-uh. can't Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. This was from The Secret of Life. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you should have missed it. You This wasn't your area. Well, that's true. Yeah. So before Mo left for vacay, though, he had claimed that he had found a clear, a clear crystalline pattern of DNA and he had resolved to give up his work on microscopy and then devote himself to DNA, which he never told John Randall, never told him. So that's mm. probably why Randall didn't mention Mo in that letter to Roz. So either way, kind of a lot of time goes by without Roz or Mo really communicating at all. Their first communication was after Mo had given a talk on the possibility that DNA had a helical shape. And Frank and Jim were at that talk, by the way. Mm-hmm. Afterward, though, Roz told Mo in no uncertain terms to go back to his microscopy and leave DNA to her, the crystallographer, because excuse me, that's what John hired me for. I have it right here in this letter. But Mo hadn't seen the letter that Randall sent to Roz, nor had Randall told Mo that he sent it. And Mo stood by that pretty much to the day he died. He's like, I literally did not know anything about this letter. And John was like, I probably showed it to somebody. I don't know. There was a lot of finger pointing between Mo and John about who dropped the ball on that one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's great. Um. Also, they're also in the same group, aren't they? What do you mean? Like working together? Yeah. So like, why does it matter if he's also working on it? Hold on to that question. Okay. Because I think that both Mo and John are lying about knowing about the letter and who saw the letter. That's the thing that I want to unravel first, because it's important that John and or Mo had communicated about the letter. Mo was assistant director of the lab. And so he would have known who Roz was and why she was hired. Furthermore, mm-hmm. John could have stepped in at any point to smooth things over and be like, oh, hey, I forgot you because you were on vacation. Roz is here and I moved her over to this project. I need you guys to work together. But he just sort of like punted on the situation and said, you guys figure it out. I'm going to close the door to my office now. So, mm-hmm. you know, so now we got bad blood because there is a miscommunication about who was really working on this. And it's more of an issue of access to materials because they couldn't both have the samples. Okay. Okay. So so what exactly was Roz working on? Well, at this point, she had discovered that there are two forms of DNA, form A, where the molecules were less hydrated and therefore shorter, and form B, where the molecules were more hydrated and longer. We're going to talk about this a little bit last week with our crystallography discussion. So Mo sees this and is like, hey, let's work together. And Roz is like, absolutely not. Why the, okay. host- why the hostility? Remember, I told you, hang on to that question. Why the hostility? So we can see how Randall's confusing letter got them off on the wrong foot, but also their personalities played a big role here. Mo tended to be non-confrontational and quieter, and, and remember, Roz did not search out conflict, but she didn't avoid it either. She appreciated the way that intellectual debate could lead to better understanding of a problem. So she was always willing to have a discussion and say, no, I think this. And Mo did not like that at all. And I think he was threatened by it. 
just because, and it wouldn't have mattered if she was a woman or not. I think he didn't like anyone who did that to him. I just think that was part of his personality. But also, Roz was not a shrinking violet. She would just go after, and it wasn't personal, and it wasn't pejorative or mean, but their personalities just were not were not going to mesh together. Their yeah. dislike was legendary, quote, legendary, according to Howard Markle, who again, was the writer of The Secret of Life, mm-hmm. Mo and Roz avoided even speaking to each other. Mm. So really, it's not Mo or Roz, I think. It's thanks to Randall's poorly worded letter to Roz that both Mo and Roz had the wrong idea about the other person. Mo thought Roz was trying to take over his work, and Roz thought that Mo was refusing to back off of her research assignment. Hmm. Making matters worse, John Randall often sided with Mo too, because both of these men described Roz as a, quote, difficult woman. And let me go ahead and mansplain that for you. When a man calls a woman difficult, that means she's not afraid to challenge ideas and ask questions and assert herself when she had a reason to. And Roz definitely did that. So yeah, she was difficult. But so they were like, we're bros on this and that's it. So Roz and Mo hate each other and refuse to work together. Cool. Randall solved the problem by assigning Roz to study the A form samples and Mo is studying the um, the form B samples. Mm-hmm. So the form A samples were in really good shape, which made her work easier. And then the B samples were not very good, which means that Mo didn't get very far. And the Cavendish lab, remember, we still have Jim and Frank floating out there like, you know, random electrons. Remember we told you that they made a 3D model of DNA. I think you mentioned it. I think you mentioned it. If we didn't, it was a three-chain helix with phosphate groups on the outside. So when Mo and Roz saw it, Roz had a couple of issues with it. The water content was wrong, and per her research, the molecule hadn't even been proved helical yet, which she told him. They were just assuming a lot. She said, I mean, I get where you're coming from, but we haven't proved any of this yet. I just really feel like more research is necessary perhaps this disaster of a meeting is why later jim called her a blue stocking and an unimaginative shrew jim said a lot of things he did and he's gonna say more so just to put that in your satchel so shots fired by jim the leader of the cavendish lab who was a guy named bragg stepped in at this time and told jim and frank to stop working on dna it belonged to kings leave it alone it's 1952 at this point Jim and Frank did as they were told and researched other stuff. Roz, much to Mo's chagrin, still can't find evidence that DNA is helical. And so, like, so she writes this sassy obituary for it and sent it to him. And it said, quote, it is with great regret that we have to announce the death on Friday, 18th July, 1952, of DNA helix crystalline. Death followed a protracted illness, which an intensive course of injections failed to relieve. A memorial service will be held next Monday or Tuesday. It is hoped that Dr. M.H.F. Wilkins will speak in memory of the late Helix. Now, I find the whole thing very cute. And if Mo and Roz didn't hate each other, like super hate each other, Mo might have been less offended. If they had the kind of bantering, fun working relationship that that scientists absolutely can have, Mm. he wouldn't have gone like nuclear about it but he was super offended and he was convinced that Roz was trying to humiliate him blah 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 and he sounds a little bit fragile so you know whatever okay 
Okay, but actually, both Mo and Roz were kind of going through it during the summer of 1952. Like Mo felt beleaguered by Roz and went on a work vacation to South America. Remember the whole trip to South America? Yeah. Part yeah. of it was because the work, the working environment was hostile, according to him, because Roz. And Roz was really unhappy at the King's Lab, and she was glad when Mo went on this, like, working vacay to South America. Like, he was increasingly nasty to her, and Randall was helping Mo kind of freeze her out. Which is silly, because her work was really important, but Randall was, like, taking his side and making it hard for her to do her job. And, like, nothing was going to mend this relationship, though, and it was just going to deteriorate. So at this point, Mo and Roz are still trying to determine what DNA is and isn't structurally and jim and frank have stopped working on dna but we know that jim and frank are the guys that we learn about discovering the D the double helix so where are they and didn't i just say that ross asserted dna wasn't helical but we know that it is well the facts are that ross never said with any seriousness that it wasn't that obit was like a little joke the crystalline form, um, form A, that she was working with gave off too much diffraction for her to draw any kind of conclusion about helix or not helix. So she would never say one way or the other because she wanted proof first. Like she was all about proof all the time. That was her biggest thing. The situation with Mo as a colleague was untenable, however, and so that's when Ross started looking for a job away from King's. Her work there was never better, but when you've got a coward of a boss who isn't willing to stick up for you in your work, and a jerk of a colleague who is trying to keep you from doing your job, sometimes you have to make a tough call. So Roz left Kings to go to Birkbeck in March of 1953. And as part of that move, she left all her work on DNA behind at Kings and didn't work on it at Birkbeck. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that's not till March of 1953. Okay. Okay. So Mo is left at Kings. Jim and Frank aren't working on DNA. But they can't stop thinking about it. So in December of 1952, when Linus Pauling thought he had discovered the structure, Jim and Frank were upset that it hasn't been them. So they were just like casually kicking around ideas just in case. But remember how Linus wasn't allowed to leave the U.S. and see all the work being done? Well, mm -hmm. when Jim and Frank saw Linus's paper, Linus had made the same mistake they had made with their first 3D model with the water. It was water content and how the phosphates were, you know, all that thing. That he had made the same mistakes. So Linus was as wrong as they had been. And there was still a chance now to be the guys who figured it out. So at the same time, Frank and Jim wondered if Mo knew about Pauling's efforts. Should they tell him what to do, what to do? Meanwhile, all that work that Roz would be leaving behind at King's is available in the lab mm -hmm. for people to use. Okay. So Mo gets a hold of the famous photograph number 51. It was mm -hmm. an extremely clear picture of the B form of DNA and the X shape showed very clearly the helical shape of DNA. Mm -hmm. Years later, Mo and others were very cagey about how they acquired it and rent and went. Okay. Mm. It appears that Roz did not forbid Mo from having it, but she didn't give it to him either. Like Okay, that's what I read as well. Okay. Um, even after she left, it was her work. She produced the pic on May 2nd, 1952 with the help of grads, uh, Gosling, the research assistant. But it wasn't easy to analyze because it wasn't the crystalline form, so she put it to the side and focused on form A. Either way, mm -hmm. Mo has this gorgeous pic, which will help unlock the secret of DNA and life itself, 
Jim and Frank are desperate to solve the problem before Linus Pauling, and Roz is about to go over to Birkbeck to work on something entirely different. So Mo wastes no time trashing Roz as she's leaving, spreading it around that poor, sad, misguided Roz spent all this time on non-helical structures, which was clearly wrong and a waste of time, but you just can't tell a difficult woman anything. He said those things? He did say those things. Two people and in correspondence. I told you I was sticking to factual hmm. things here. I was sticking okay. to facts. So there's written correspondence of him saying those things. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. And, and from other colleagues that knew him at the time, they are like, oh yeah, he trashed her all the time. It's just like, everybody. they were kind of, the attitude was kind of like, everybody knows that. Like, everybody hmm. knows. Okay, so. Um, and he's not, and that is not technically accurate because Roz's research notes, which I also saw, clearly show her pursuit of the helical structure. Mm -hmm. She just wanted proof. She wasn't saying it didn't exist. She just wanted to prove it before she just went off on this tangent about it. Plus, mm -hmm. she was pretty sure that it would have to change forms at some point going from helical to non-helical in order to replicate, which is true because I mm -hmm. described that earlier. Mm -hmm. But Mo did all of his best to not tell anybody about that, keep it real quiet, and make Roz look bad. So while this drama is going on, Jim and Frank decide to go tell Mo what's going on with Pauling. So, because remember, Frank and Mo are friends. Mm -hmm. But Frank's not the one who goes to see Mo. Jim is the one who goes to see Mo. Okay. It's January of 1953. Roz is leaving in a couple months. Um, and so Mo is busy. Like, Jim shows up. Mo is busy. So Jim goes to see Roz, who he doesn't have a good relationship with because he was that guy. Jim interrupts her work without knocking and tells her about Pauling's paper. And she's like, cool, but the helical structure of DNA isn't proven yet, which was true. Mm -hmm. But Jim, thanks to Mo telling everybody that Roz was anti-helical, and Jim also just didn't like or respect her, proceeds to mansplain Pauling's paper to Roz. And Roz is annoyed because she had asked for the paper from a colleague and never received it. And when she did see it, Pauling had given Mo the credit for some pics that they'd included, but Roz is the one that took them. So she was a little bit salty about that. Hmm. So Jim is going on and on about how close Pauling's model and his own model were and how awesome they all are. And she interrupted him to argue about this because remember, she did value scientific discussion. She wanted to say, but wait, X, Y, and Z, here are all these things. But Jim wasn't having it. Let's hear it in his own words. Oh from, boy, do we, do we have to? We do have to, because this is just, I just, I like a good fairy tale. Jim's the kind of guy, like, you know how kids these days, because I'm old, but kids these days, we like say less, but they mean say more. Like, I would actually literally like Jim to say less. Please. So, like, so what we should say is take several seats. Oh, is that the lingo? I don't know. That's the, apparently when you want someone to sit down and stop talking, it's take several seats. Oh, okay. Well, because well, take a seat would be be quiet but take several seats as you are out of control sit down and be quiet i think that's mm -hmm. how that works we're okay. old friends if we have any gen zers out there you can correct us. yeah if any of my students or former students who are much younger are listening you can correct me with what the cool kids say these days because i'm not cool nor am i a kid so same okay so this is jim's own words quote interrupting her harangue 
I told her that the simplest form for any regular polymeric molecule was a helix. I'm sorry, I got to interrupt this quote. Side note, she already knew that. Like, she already knew that. Rosie was hardly able to control her temper, and her voice rose as she told me that the stupidity of my remarks would be obvious if I would stop blubbering and look at her x-ray evidence, end quote. Okay. So a couple of things here. Let's, let's unpack. First, she hated being called Rosie. It was an insult anytime anyone used it. People oh, okay. kind of used it. It was it was it was very minimizing. They used it to minimize her abilities and kind of her as a person. Hmm. Second, Brenna, if you were minding your business, chasing the very elusive solution to a big question, and some dude comes in and mansplains your work to you, mm-hmm. wouldn't you clap back? Because I would. I mean, maybe, probably. But Jim didn't stop there. Oh, good. Yeah, it's this is the best. Remember, Mo had photo 51 and Jim hadn't seen it. So Jim tells Roz to her face that she's, quote, incompetent in interpreting x-ray pictures. If only you learned some theory, you'd understand how your supposed anti-helical features arose from the minor distortions needed to pack regular helices into a crystalline lattice, end quote. My first question for Jim is, where do you get the audacity? My Amazon, second, it's on sale. He, uh, he clearly got like double. My second question is, do you sleep with one eye open because Raj should be coming for you? Actually, no. You know where he bought his Audacity? Probably the Sears Roebuck catalog. He probably did, yeah, because they didn't have Amazon. He got it from Sears Roebuck. Yeah. You could buy houses from it, so I guess you could buy Audacity. You could definitely buy Audacity, for sure. And he bought all of it. (laughs) The final insult to Roz's memory, because this is a retelling from Jim's perspective, Mm -hmm. and it was after Roz's death, so she's not around to, to defend herself, Jim accuses her of physically threatening him. Quote, Suddenly, Rosie came from behind the lab bench and began moving toward me. Fearing that in her hot anger she might strike me, I grabbed up the Pauline manuscript and hastily retreated to the open door. My escape was blocked by Morris, who, searching for me, had just then stuck his head through. I was inching my body from between them, leaving Morris face to face with Rosie. Rosie turned around and shut the door. Mm-hmm. Just take a second to absorb that. Is this in his biography? Yeah. Well, uh, okay, but he wrote all kinds of crazy things in there. But I just want to point out that the whole thing even is if trash. he thought it was true, it couldn't have been because Jim and Mo were both over six feet tall. Yeah, so, I have a hard time thinking Jim was like intimidated by Ex- her. No, he wasn't at all. It's a fairy tale. Um, Markle, remember this, the author of The Secret mm-hmm. of Life says, quote, it shreds the imagination to think that it's true, which it does. Roz was 5'4 and weighed 125 pounds. She was not going to physically take on these dudes, especially not if about this. Was... Right. Even as recently as 2018, though, Jim swears he thought Roz was going to hit him. Well, okay. And the damage his story did to Roz's reputation, coloring her as a termagant, was damage that Roz kind of never escaped. Plus, Mo used that little encounter to justify telling Jim about Roz's work, namely that DNA existed in both paracrystalline and crystalline forms. Now, this was a closely guarded secret at King's. Mm. 
So when he told Jim, she was like, oh my gosh, what's the pattern? Like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, please, 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 please. And Mo's like, bro, check this out. And shows Jim photo 51. Roz's photo 51. Jim sees it and the clouds part, the angels sing, and he has exactly what he's looking for to complete his and Frank's DNA model. That decision by Mo not to ask Roz's permission to show Jim the photo would affect Roz's legacy forever, at least somewhat until the recording of this episode, because things are a little bit different now. But so I'll... she was still at King's when yes. he showed him the photo? Yes. Okay. So put that in your satchel. Jim heads back to the Cavendish, tells Frank the whole story and all about the photo that he saw. So he convinces their boss, Bragg, that they should try to beat Pauling to the helical structure finish line. And Bragg lets the men go ahead with their work on DNA, namely making a physical model. And honestly, the path to figuring that part out was kind of trial and error. They basically had tinker toys and they were just trying to figure out where the phosphate backbone went on the outside and which of the bases went together because at first Jim was pairing A with A and G with G, which did not work. Finally, after the tinkering and the moving and moving stuff around, they had this double helix model whose shape and measurement fit the data. As an added bonus, the double helix gave them a way for the genetic code to easily create a copy and reproduce itself. Mm -hmm. They put together the model, which is very famous now. There's pictures of it. I think we're going to post. I think I picked one to post on our social media. Mm -hmm. um, it had a whole bunch of people check it, like O-chemists and stuff, because there's a lot of O-chem involved in that, apparently. I don't know. They published their results. And Watson and Crick became the men who discovered the structure of DNA. So that's the meat of the brawl. Okay. So and obviously it had serious repercussions in the world of science for all four of the players. And they had, they all actually had a lot to say about this drama. Like, I, I mean, okay, everyone except for Roz, who died just a few years after Jim and Frank published their work. Mm -hmm. So let's take a break. And I want to talk a little bit about the fallout from this brawl, because in some of our other brawls, the fallout has been kind of negative where it set science back. Mm -hmm. This didn't. Science like moved, mm -hmm. took a giant leap ahead with understanding the helicals, the double helical structure of DNA. Great, great, great. But there was still fallout and damage to more than one person's legacy. So let's take a break. And we will wrap up this whole two-episode extravaganza on DNA. Okay. The good news is that Watson and Crick were right about their double helix hypothesis, and it unlocked a lot of scientific secrets that we're still exploring to this day. I can't see how any of their actions set DNA science back in any way nor does it seem to have made it more difficult or anything like that. The fallout really is more about each scientist's reputation. So Jim, Frank, and Mo won the Nobel Prize in 1962 for their work on the structure of DNA. Why was Roz excluded? We talked about this last week. She died by then, and they don't award Nobel Prizes posthumously, which I personally think is done. This is a circumstance where it would have been appropriate, but we again, we went into that last week, so whatever. Certainly, these three had cemented their scientific reputation, no question, but let's talk about their personal legacy. Jim is a good place to start. He mm -hmm. wrote, I mean, he's the most outrageous. I mean, wrote, we talked about him to a certain extent. And how, we did. We did. But, he wrote you know. the book Double Helix about his quest to find the structure of DNA. 
and it received some praise at the time, but it's really controversial now as we discussed. Like, Brennick, you said you didn't even read it because Correct. of how Jim portrayed a lot of the main players and how he portrayed the credit for the Nobel Prize. Well, that was the book where the president of Harvard wouldn't publish it because Linus Pauling got mad and then he was going to put a cow on his lawn and all that. Let me tell you a little bit more to that fun story because there's more. Oh. Yes, Harvard University Press was set to publish this book, but they did require written consent of the people who were mentioned. Literally everybody vetoed it. Frank and Mo objected to their portrayals and were kind of angry about it. Linus Pauling sent off a scathing letter to Frank about the inaccurate portrayals of himself, his family, Bragg, and Roz. And as for Roz, since she wasn't around, her brother, like the trustee of her estate, was outraged by Jim's characterization of Roz. Mm -hmm. Jim brushed it off as, quote, a rather hysterical reaction about defaming the dead. Sir. Sir. Look, we've we've talked, literally everything in Jim's life has been questionable, so. Right. But so many people were objecting to this book that Jim was like, okay, 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 okay. I'll put in an epilogue to his book. Uh So in this afterthought at the end of the main text, Jim said that Roz was a fine scientist and that he had never understood how hard it must have been for her to be a woman in the man's world of science. Jim, again, sir, perhaps when you found yourself in a hole, you ought to stop digging if I could just give you some advice. Uh, But even after a bunch of revisions, Mo and others thought that Jim was unfair to everyone in the book, except Jim Watson himself. Mm. Shocking. Surprise. Surprise. So Harvard dropped the book. Someone else did publish it. And Roz's parents actually were really not happy that their daughter had been characterized as a hysterical, unreasonable, dowdy blue stocking because in reality, she was a fashionable, brilliant, hardworking scientist. She lived in Paris, guys. She wasn't dowdy. Come on. (laughs) Jim kind of comes away looking petty and immature, though. Like, in fact, like, because as we talked about last week, some passages, some of the things that he said in today's culture are flagrantly misogynistic. And while those attitudes were more of a norm at the time, they're just really gross. And so Jim comes off looking like a jerk. He really does. Plus, remember, Jim worked at Cavendish, but Kings Mm -hmm. was the one who was doing DNA. So Kings Mm -hmm. really never forgave Jim for using work from their Mm -hmm. lab to do his work. And he never really gave them the credit they deserved because he didn't take that picture. He repeatedly, with a straight face, tried to say that they used Roz's data to think about. Like, for inspiration, not to <laughs> steal it. Okay, he and Frank had made the discovery versus Roz, not because she was a woman or wasn't as intelligent as them, they say. They were simply more interested in DNA because of their education and their friends. But, okay. He said that in a speech at her alma mater, and it was it did not go over well. Jim said that? He did, and it did not go over well. Oh, in a speech boy. at her alma let, let me assure you, it was not popular. Some, I know some speculate that he clung so hard to the idea that Roz was awful because it assuaged the guilt he carried for stealing her work like if she's awful he's justified in the name of science um he literally never told her openly and to her face that he had used her work to do the thing like it's shady y'all whether she was a shrew or an angel it's shady I don't think he felt guilty about it I don't think he did at all now Frank came out looking somewhat better I think I would say quite a bit better because Roz was friendly with Frank's wife Odile mm-hmm. um, and, he, and Frank didn't get involved in a lot of Jim's drama although he did 
notably, blame her father and Roz's relationship with him as the reason why she was difficult. What? Well, she had a difficult relationship with her father, and that clearly affected all of her working relationships with other men. He mansplained like an idiot, <laughs> which is cool considering he never met the man, didn't know that they were Jewish even, and didn't know that Daddy Franklin never opposed Roz's career. Oh, and he was like, no, Mo didn't do anything wrong by showing that photo to Jim. So again, mm. we find ourselves saying, take several seats, sir. And for Mo, Mo was not a shining example of scientific ethics and giving proper credit, but he also didn't go as far as Jim. 17 years after everything went down, Mo said, quote, perhaps I should have asked Rosalind's permission and I didn't. Things were very difficult. Some people have said I was entirely wrong to do this without her permission, without consulting her at least. And perhaps I was, I don't know. Jim was not above data pinching. Translation, data for data pinching is stealing. Right. I'd, I'd say this is what he did. Oh, really? Did he now? Mo. Lots of other authors have discussed this whole situation saying that it's not a big deal. Jim didn't steal anything. Roz wasn't pushed out. The best anyone can say is that Jim and Frank did behave unethically, but they would have done it no matter who took the pick. It wasn't because Roz was a woman. It wasn't yeah, yeah. personal, right? Now, a guy named Matthew Cobb in 2015 wrote a particularly appalling piece for The Guardian about how the whole thing got blown out of proportion and it wasn't really that scandalous. I included it in my sources so y'all can see the nonsense. But as is the case with a lot of ethical questions... The best way to answer it is to put yourself in the place of the person affected by the choices made. How would you feel if a colleague who you didn't like and who didn't like you showed your work to someone who was constantly trying to outdo you without your permission, and then that person went on to get credit for making one of the greatest discoveries in the history of science as a direct result of your work? Like, you can't say with a straight face that wouldn't bother you. Because it bother right. me. It would. That's a natural human response. And Brenna, check me if I'm wrong, but you'd get fired in academia today if you pulled that kind of a stunt. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm not at a competitive research institution, so I don't know to what extent poaching and those kinds of things, I, I, like, I really don't know. I would, right. like, you'd so like some... to think that, like, hey, this is all not good behavior, but... I mean, I I don't know. I have a feeling it still goes on. I mean, my grad professor said he used to sleep in his lab so that nobody else would sabotage his experiments. And he's not that much older than I am. So so people still do shady stuff. It, so that is the thing. And it, and it could put not only the other person's reputation and job at risk, but your own work and your own reputation at risk. So, you know, it's difficult. Uh, to sum it up, I think that Howard Markle in The Secret of Life said it best. I love this quote. To most 21st century readers, it is difficult to discern what Wilkins, Watson, and Crick were thinking when they committed and later struggled to justify their behavior. Such lapses are especially striking when one recalls that Franklin was working right down the hall. Why didn't Wilkins shout out, Rosalind, would it be all right if I showed your pictures to Jim? Quite simply, it was not all right. There exists no ethical standard then or now whereby Franklin's permission did not need to be expressly asked. A few years ago, when I challenged him on this issue because Markle interviewed Jim, Watson okay. demurred that since Franklin was, quote, only a postdoctoral fellow, 
The King's College Biophysics Lab had proprietary rights over all her DNA data. As such, she was required to turn it all over to Wilkins in anticipation of her exit to Birkbeck. Hence, Watson explained, Wilkins was perfectly entitled to show them to anyone he pleased. Employing such glib excuses, Watson and Crick rode a DNA skyrocket all the way to Stockholm and the 1962 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. It was not until 1968, when Watson's memoir was published, that the world was introduced to Franklin, whom he portrayed as a belligerent, narrow-minded hack who could not even understand her own data. Watson even went so far as to mock her as a recipient of, quote, a rigid Cambridge education, only to be so foolish as to misuse it, end quote. But in reality, Watson and Crick, enabled by their bosses and, of course, Moe, may have engaged in one of the most egregious ripoffs in the history of science. Hmm. So, but Roz's legacy shouldn't be the tragically wronged feminist icon that someone to paint her as. Mm-hmm. Roz was demonstrably intellectually sharp and independent. She had plenty of healthy friendships. She had plenty of healthy work relationships. She never let the inherent difficulties of being a woman in science in the 1950s stop her from doing her best work and making huge scientific discoveries and strides. Like even Roz, okay. Let's say that she would shrug off what Jim and the others did. That doesn't make it okay. Mm-hmm. But she would also perhaps prefer to not let that be the focus of her legacy. Based on everything I know about her over these two episodes, she'd likely want people to know that she loved science and worked hard at it. She wasn't really ever in it for recognition. She just wanted to do science, live dangerously, and do science. I mean, she's kind of the definition of our badass, you know? Mm-hmm. And she didn't want, she specifically did not want the fact that she was a woman to have any bearing on her work at all, which is an opinion that I agree with. It shouldn't matter if she was a woman or not. She did great scientific work. What makes her a BA though, is that it was difficult. And when you got these clowns working around you, she did a really great job. So now, so I have presented to you, with the exception of Jim's fairy tale, as much of the facts as I can mm-hmm. around the situation. So I think we can agree that the person who comes out looking the worst about this is Jim. Uh, yeah, totally. He's the worst. Literally. We don't like him for a variety of reasons. We don't like him. I have, I am ambivalent about Frank. He was along for the ride. He had yeah. to share an office with Jim. I feel like that anybody that would have shared an office with Jim would have ended up with his name on the Nobel Prize. You know, I I feel like that Frank was there. They were working on it together. So he did good work on it. If he hadn't have been in that situation, someone else would have been. So, you know, good job, Frank. But, you know, now what do we think about Mo? So I think because I didn't because it my part wasn't the science and I did read his autobiography, but I did. There were some sections where I kind of skimmed it a little bit more. I think I was under the impression and maybe it's the impression he gives in his autobiography, but it may not be. It might just be because I was skimming and reading too fast that she was already gone. It was like she had already cleared out her desk. And her grad student or whatever, like, brought, like, oh, hey, here's the box of her stuff that she left behind. And the photo was in there. And that she had already left when he showed it to Jim. So that just maybe be, again, that either he told it that, sto- that story in his autobiography or maybe I just, again, misread it. All three of the men spent a lot of time dancing around the fact that, yes, she was on her way out. 
And yes, her stuff was stored down the hall. Oh, but yeah, she hadn't left. But we're not going to talk about that part. She was going to leave, though. Like that, all of them kind of couched it in those terms. So he was, and you, so you didn't misunderstand. All three of them were deliberately very vague about where exactly she was. The facts are she was right down the hallway. Hmm. Shady, man, it's shady. I mean, yes, and also, I don't, I don't know. Now, again, I don't put Mo on the same level as Jim about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't do that. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know why he that... showed him in the first place. I don't, I don't think I dislike Mo. I think he just made a stupid decision. Like, oh, well, Jim's friends with Frank and I like Frank because we're buds. I just feel like it was not maybe a good decision. But I don't know that I feel like it was malicious. I think that he didn't think through what the consequences of his actions well, would maybe. have because he didn't like her and didn't care. If he had liked her or respected her at the very least, because I don't think that I don't think either of them respected each other, which is which is worse than not liking someone because you can work with people you don't like if you can respect them. They didn't really respect each other. And, and that's on both of them. Both yeah. of them are to blame for that. True. So, you know, but I think that if he would have at least respected her, he would have poked his head and been like, hey, Jim's asking about this thing. I'm going to show him photo 51. Cool, cool, cool. And she'd have been like, whatever, I'm working. Probably is what would have happened. I don't think that she would have forbidden it. She would have been like, whatever. It's not even in my office. Like, don't talk to me. Like that's at which at, at that point they're absolved, but that conversation never happened. And I just can't help mm. but think if it was me, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, I'd be like, I was like right here, dude. I'm literally right here. True. So, but no, I don't think that Mo is a total scumbag. I think that he just made a careless choice because he just didn't like or respect Ross and it had and it had a massive effect too because if he hadn't done that he might have figured it out without Jim and Frank or maybe it would have given Linus Pauling time to get over there because he eventually did get permission to go to England Hmm. it might have given him time to go over there and it could have been calling Wilkins Crick and Watson who were on the Nobel Prize for it yeah I, I mean I don't know so I do think that there were repercussions to, you know, to that. But again, it didn't set science back, which is the good news. True. Now, is there a reason that, like, if this photo was so illuminating, it feels like Roz didn't really push it further. So, I mean, I'm not saying that something's wrong with her, that she didn't do good science. But, I mean, at the same time, she had data that didn't seem to really be going anywhere because she wasn't using it. Oh, so, so all the data know. that you use for your research that's not going anywhere, you just want people to come and take it from you? No, but I mean, if she had kind of tossed it in a drawer and was like, well, here's this, but I, I'm not getting anything out of it. And someone else is like, okay, I'm going to work with it. I don't know. It's not, it'd be one thing. It'd be one thing. I don't know. Maybe I just feel like it would be worse if it was like, she was still working there. Someone snuck into her office, dug through her drawers stole the photo right out from under her while she was like actively cracking the so if it was a blatant so you want it to be blatant you want there to be blatant intellectual property theft here i I feel like it would make it like i don't know it would feel a lot worse it feels it feels bad to me no matter what i don't like it's it's more gray for you perhaps than it is for me because this this one's pretty like you just shouldn't have done it bro you just shouldn't have done it well, maybe you should like go read that. Maybe you should go read that article by Michael Cobb, and maybe you'll agree with him. I found it to be a 
appalling, but. I mean, I, I don't think it was like blown out of proportion. I do think that it was still shady and that scientifically, ethically, whatever, it's not, it's not how science should be done. Obviously. That's a good way to say it. That's a good way to say it. It's not, it's not how it should have been done. That's not how it should have been done. But uh, was there maybe some fault on the all parties involved? Maybe. Not Frank. Yeah, not Frank. Frank, I think, yeah, I think Frank was just along for the ride. Yeah. Because, yeah, um, he and uh, Roz and Odile, they, like, went on vacation to Spain. Oh, yeah. They hung out. They were, they were friends. Yeah. 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 Which is weird that Frank and Roz could be friends. And Frank and Mo were buds. But Mo hated Roz that much. Because, of course, in his autobiography, like, he kind of goes out of his way to be like, I don't know why it's gotten blown out of proportion that Roz and I were, like, so contentious. Because it wasn't as bad, blah blah well, blah. Well, of course it, he said that because, right. like, like because that's what I would do too. I would, I right, would right. minimize it if I were him. Like, I, of course he would. But it's just interesting, like, how come he couldn't get along with her? Frank could get along with her because they were friends. I don't know. See, and that's what I said too. Oh. Like her, her legacy is not that she couldn't get along with the these two dudes, or really yeah. Mo, or and and tangentially Jim. Right. I mean, she had lots of really healthy working. Yeah, she was living her life. It was like she was not just like some poor, woeful. Oh yeah, no, exactly. Like kind she, of thing. So. She was going places and doing it until she yeah. got sick. If she wouldn't have got sick, as we discussed, also if she wouldn't have got sick. Yeah, things would have been very different. So I have that in their paper published in 1953, Nature, the one entitled "A Structure for Deoxyribose Nucleic Acid." They make a note that, quote, the information reported in this section was very kindly reported to us prior to its publication by doctors Wilkins and Franklin. We are most heavily indebted to, in this respect to the King's College group, and we wish to point out that without this data, the formulation of our structure would have been most unlikely, if not impossible. If that's true, they credit her at least. That whole thing is nice. That note is really nice, but I don't think that it gives the kind of credit that they deserve. So, do you think that that little note, that footnote in a paper, is the credit that they deserve? I think it would have been better if I mean, because okay, cool. You mentioned my name in an, as an afterthought, both in your epilogue of your ridiculous book and in this paper that you published, even though I took this picture. But, like, if her picture is what unlocked his whole brain, she should have been a co-author. Well, okay, sure. Ideally, I feel like the 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 way to go about it is that if you collaborate and you have data from other people, like, everyone just goes on that paper as an author. So, yes, they should have been credited then as co-authors if they were going to do that. Acknowledging that they did get this paper or that information and they wouldn't have been able to come up with this without it i don't know i mean that was probably frank's idea not jim's because oh, maybe for frank, sure. frank was like dude you you know like maybe we should like at least say like hey thanks so i don't know so no i mean no it's not enough but there was at least an acknowledgement of these other people that were involved okay that's fair so what's the verdict so 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 where we got like did did we end up disagreeing completely? Do we somewhat agree? Like uh, do I have You're to You're definitely more incensed and I'm not sure if something's wrong. I found broken. 
maybe it's just tonight. I just like I to be agree. incensed about things. That's part of my personality. So I mean, it could you, be that. I do like that. I don't know. It bothers me. And I do think, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I read a lot of things too that were like, Roz wasn't trying to be like, oh, I'm some amazing woman pioneer, blah, blah. She's just like, I'm a serious scientist. Okay. Just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I definitely agree with that. Like, it's not some, like, she's not some feminist warrior who was out there trying to be like, I'm amazing just because I'm a woman, blah, blah, blah. Like, she just, like, I'm a good scientist. Yes. So I, I, I mean, definitely I agree on that. The verdict, I, mm. I wonder if it's because I read her auto, her biography and I did her, because yeah. she, I did her biography. So you it did. could, it could just be that I'm very attached to her. And I, yeah. I read about all of the things that she did, like mm-hmm. the, the, the struggles and the job changes and the person, you know, the personal life stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of it is that like, I feel like I know her, like, mm. I feel like I know her. And I feel like this was just, she just got the short end of the stick and it's not, it's not right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also compact that with what, what a goblin was. <laughs> yeah. When you when you toss those things together for me, it makes the perfect storm of so many aspects. I don't I mean, is this bad? He's still alive. I guess he'll probably never listen to this, but like sorry. Other people have have denounced other things that he've said. So we're not I mean they did take his awards away, some of them. So we're in we're in good company because we we also denounced that those particular behaviors. Yeah. So I mean, so for sure we can agree, like thumb two thumbs down on jim watson just all the thumbs down yeah i don't know i don't i mean i don't like it none of it's great and i think too like i read crick and wilkins autobiographies well crick's was kind of autobiography kind of other stuff but like both of them books that they had written and of course again Depending on what you read, you're right. They're going to minimize how awful it could have been or might have been because they're writing the books and they're trying. It's later on. And truthfully, they they may have even, to some extent, forgotten kind of what it really was because it was a long time ago for them by the time they're writing these things. So maybe some of that does fade a bit into the past. I mean, Jim is just ridiculous. And everyone kind of agrees that Jim's autobiography is ridiculous. So, I mean, I feel like that one's an easy one. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's not that I think that Roz is a big fat liar or that, you know, there wasn't contention. But I wonder, I don't know. Maybe I just felt like it was more on both sides than just a one-sided, like, vitriolic thing. What I do, yeah, what what I think I would say is that, again, a lot of it wasn't personal yeah you know what I mean like sometimes and and other brawls we've had people like made the choices Mm -hmm. they made because they hated Mm -hmm. somebody's guts right but choices were made here just because you know there was a lack of respect there was a lack of ethical thinking there was you know a lack of you know whatever so it does feel a little bit different to me in that respect I'm thinking of Martian Cope especially Mm. oh yeah they just didn't like each other they just hate each other's guts and yeah. and and set science back because of it. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, it was really interesting. 
like this whole thing was very interesting because like you hear about Watson Crick and then you're like oh well Rosalind Franklin got the short end of the stick I never even heard of Mo Wilkins to be honest with you because I've taken one biology I've taken one biology class and one biochem class and so it's like "Mm, who I think he gets the shortest end of the shortest stick because I, I had never heard of him either and I do think I mean I'm not saying like Roz got that pic, like the you know the photo 51 or whatever and she did spend a ton of time on it but he was also working on it whether he was supposed to be or not but he was working on it and he did spend a lot of time like I think we met, talked about a little bit like if you recrystallize it at different humidities it crystallizes differently and you get those forms and whatever like he did spend a lot of time on it but he got mm-hmm. a Nobel Prize so I don't really feel that bad for him yeah true you know True. In terms of like famousness, because never once in my biology career in high school or any other thing have I heard his name whispered. But you're always like, and then in 1953, Watson and Crick discovered the double helical structure of DNA. Like that's just what you And it's the Watson-Crick base pairs. And it's the Watson, I mean, it's just always Watson-Crick. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's a very fascinating saga. It is. And maybe too, I mean, I don't know, because I mean, today we make our students like in, in biochemistry, actually, like take ethics course related work so that there's an understanding of when, especially with, well, especially with biochem, because you also start then working potentially with like human subjects and you have to kind of, yeah. So you have to really like be on top of things, but I think there's like been that awareness of like, hey, there are good ways to go about science and not good ways to go about science. And we should go about it in the best way. And so Whenever maybe possible. it's like, yes. okay, yeah, it didn't really go down maybe the way it should have. Listeners, you'll have to tell us what you think. Yeah. Is this like shrugs or is this the gravest injustice? Like even I don't think it's the gravest injustice, yeah. but some of you might be more incensed than even I am. Maybe. So let us know. Maybe we're missing a point. Let yeah. us know. Let us know. Because sometimes too, it's hard because you read so much that then there's like a too much information and maybe well, you miss something, you know? The the Secret of Life book was a, that was a lot. fire hose of information. Yeah. <laughs> so, which, and yeah. it was, it's really good though. I really enjoyed that book. I highly recommend that. I guess we should talk about sources since, yeah, sure. since we're headed that way anyway. Let's see. I had more uh morris wilkins the third man of the double helix and autobiography the genetic code francis kirk's legacy and beyond i have a couple articles here and there let's see the scientists who reveal the structure of dna what mad pursuit a personal view of scientific discovery by francis crick francis crick hunter of life secrets by robert olby inspiring science jim watson in the age of dna which in a not shocking turn of events was published by cold springs harbor lab because that was the lab he ran yes of course Mm -hmm. it'd be inspiring science jim watson nature uh Uh, some other odds and ends articles about jim as well and then the secret of life as we've mentioned a couple of times but that one by howard markle that was a i only actually i only read a few sections of it because i think it did focus a lot more on the scientific it did. It was very, it was very science. It was science yeah. heavy in terms of where people were, what they were working on. Yeah. How they so I scanned a few, like I got a few like details, gleaned some details about their lives from it, but I didn't read that one, you know, cover to cover or even, I mean, maybe I read chaps, a few chapters, but 
didn't read that one as thoroughly just because it was kind of outside of my but it was an easy uh, it's a bit dense but it's an it's an okay read if as far as nonfiction goes if you're interested in the story and the science of it it's not too bad, but it is a little, it's a little dense. I'll admit. Yeah, sure. If you're not into DNA science yeah. or biochem oh, or yeah. any of that, and you think this is going to be a fluff read about people who fought with each other, this ain't, that ain't it. Yeah. No, it's something, it's something more than that, um, for sure. That's what I got. Well, I had a bunch of articles, uh, lost letters reveal twists and discovery of double helix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, Rosalind Franklin and DNA, how wronged was she? Sexism in science. Did Watson and Crick really steal Rosalind Franklin's data? That's the Guardian article. And just the oh. title right there. It's like, sir, excuse me. Uh, the Double Helix and the Wronged Heroine uh, from Nature. Mm. Um, okay. Then I had some books, The Human Side of Science by Arthur Wiggins and Charles Wynn. Uh, I had James Watson, Francis Crick, Rosalind Franklin, and Morris Wilkins, The Scientists Who Revealed the Structure of DNA, and yeah. then The Double Helix Structure of DNA and their names and you know so books Mm -hmm. like that but Mm -hmm. so yeah that's what i had okay so now we've finished the two-parter brawl which is thrilling that means we need to tease our next episode so you get to you get to have a an actual teaser again today but you're so excited yeah i mean i had a joke about a flat tire but i think i should spare you from it instead i just want to say that lately my husband and i've had a lot of issues with flat tires and if we could go a whole 365 days without any more tire issues that would be a good year wow you guys should see how proud of herself she like was sometimes i wish this was a video or you could at least see how proud of herself she is after she lays one of those on us so yeah, that's I, that's a good clue. Do it mostly for the eye rolls that I get from you. You got a big one from me this time. I possibly saw another dimension. I rolled them so hard. <laughs> and and you sometimes will get even so disgusted that your jaw drops a little bit. Like you go slack jawed with disgust. I frequently do that as well. Yes. Yeah. I do. So I do. But I that was a I didn't good... get to have a teaser last week. So you know. You had to make up for it. So but you should everyone should be able to guess who we're gonna be talking about next time so i'm excited about this one i'm it would be nice to move away from biochem for a little bit so because it's been it's been three episodes i mean two episodes but three it's been a saga so so all right scheduler for this season should really have a talking to well the scheduler (laughs) got a lecture for me today because she's working on next season's schedule i know it seems early but we yeah we got to start thinking about these things guys and she and I had a long talk about some things so Mm, hopefully hopefully she'll have it together okay hope so well we'll cross our fingers so do you have anything else this week have we said all there is to say about this whole debacle all right then until next time live dangerously do science